Well, we come to a section today that uh, kind of shifts gears a little bit. We've been in a section that's been heavy. It's been uh, very humbling overtones that uh, deal with false apostles and <coughs> deceitful workers, uh, disguising workers that are influenced by Satan. <laughs> And all the sufferings that Paul had, and that's what we dealt with last week, um, it was one after another. The labors, the imprisonments, the beatings, the stoning, the shipwrecks, all the dangers that were everywhere, the hardships, the sleeplessness, the hunger and the thirst. uh, All those that were just part of his life, his ministry. And so those were extreme that I don't think anybody has ever faced in the history of mankind of all the sufferings that he went through. And it's like, uh, as we move into chapter 12, it's almost like going from night to day, especially in this section. It uh, actually exchanges uh, from extreme humility that uh, he was involved with and his sufferings to an extreme honoring from God that uh, it goes from one end of the spectrum to the other. And so there are often times in our own lives where we have difficulties and um, it can take us uh, for a pretty good ride. Uh, actually, maybe a run. We're in a marathon. And this marathon goes for a long time. Sometimes it's nice to have a, have a respite. Or if you're in a desert, you see an oasis that you arrive at. And it's nice to have those oasises. And Paul had those occasionally, just like we have those. So what we see here today is an illustration from God uh, as God honors Paul for his faithfulness in the ministry that he had. And of course, the ministry that he had and in the walk that uh, God has given him, it's a demand that is full and is complete. It's a good thing. Um, But it's fully demanding, isn't it? When we follow Christ. There are many times that Paul almost died. Numerous occasions that he could have been killed. The Lord kept him alive. And there's our providence. There's our sovereignty of God. The Lord kept him alive. And that's what God does with us. You'll wonder probably, why am I still here? Some of the things that could have happened to me way back when. And I'm still here. So as we start in chapter 12, the theme still is kind of running with the defense as that is the dominant um, subject that started in chapter 10 and goes pretty well through the end of the book. But there's a slight shift here now as we move into 12. And even though he gets sufferings from God, he gets rewarded from God. And we know there's a reward that is what we're all shooting for. The rewards at the end. Um, That's really only the beginning. But there are rewards that we actually get here, in a sense. Uh, We know the second coming is what we certainly desire. And with His return ever before our minds, uh, that helps us get through this life. But there are times when we get oasises or just encouragements from the Lord And uh, that's at the present time. And they are certainly welcoming, aren't they? And uh, actually, it seems like most of the time, that's what He's doing. You know, He is blessing us in tremendous ways. He always is blessing us. We don't always see it that way. But to persevere in this world, in our walks, is a challenge. It's a difficult thing at times. So in the text today, we have a what I would think uh, would be a truly exhilarating experience that Apostle Paul had. It's above all the other peak experiences that he had. He had a lot of experiences that we don't have. This Apostle Paul had seen the Lord. He had heard Him audibly. His very salvation story is quite amazing, isn't it? And we think of that. But there were numerous special occasions when the Lord made an appearance to him, spoke to him. But this one today that we look at in chapter 12 is absolutely at the top of the mountain. This is the peak of all the peaks 
There's no equal to this spiritual experience that he had here. What a glimpse. Of course, you know, I said there's no equal. Well, his salvation, that one is the peak of all. But um, from his memory as he thinks about as he be- after he became a Christian, as this thing happened to him. And we listed, uh, or Paul listed, and we looked at those listing of sufferings. It's I think it was too much to even grasp. I mean, I can't even understand how one could go through the things that he did and the beatings, all the lashes that he took, and uh, out in the sea, uh, being out in the sea, off of the boat for a night and a, and a day. It's just hard to imagine. And so as he lists those, we were kind of in awe that God kept him alive through all that. And today we look at what would be a kind of like a rapturous vision here of paradise. You know, he would never forget this. I'm sure he didn't forget any of those experiences. But how could you forget this from at what happened to him? Something better than life that we know of is coming for us. We know that we are going to be in the third heaven or the paradise or in heaven, the very presence of the Lord. We're motivated by that fact to keep on living in this life. For we know what will go on. Being in the very presence, the surroundings of paradise. Quite the promise, isn't it? But he had something where he went to heaven and then he came back to earth. He's resuscitated, if that may be. But he came back and he lived to not tell about it. <laughs> and you'd think that would be the first thing that he would do. Oh, you can't, you cannot believe what just happened. <laughs> I think I'll write a book. <laughs> I think I'll do a movie. <laughs> Paul did none of that. He spoke it to nobody until right now where we're at in this text. I think this is a, a sunum bonum for Paul that uh, I think should be the, the coup de grace for his defense of his ministry. He's been building his case, building it, building it, building it, and then he hits the suffering thing. Nobody could compare with that. And then he brings on this as he employs it against the arrogant boasting that was going on by the false teachers who glorified themselves. So Paul does his own boasting because it's necessary. And that's uh, what we are going to look at. But there's an encouragement that Paul needed throughout his ministry as he went through these immense, (coughs) unbelievable sufferings. Christ showed Himself to him. And he was also inspired to write Scripture. He was an apostle. One thing you want to keep in mind, we don't have apostles today. Apostles were the foundation. They gave us New Testament. Everything is built upon that. But in the meantime, there were some supernatural things that happened to them. And... I think this gives encouragement to us as we live on in this life that God shows glimpses of His power and His great glory through the Word of God, through lives of others, through our own circumstances. If we just kind of think back over the course of the last few years of our individual lives and we see where God has brought us from point A to B to C to D, and uh, you think, wow, Lord, that's amazing that You got me through that a victorious triumph for us no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that's why we see chapter 12 after we see the end of chapter 11. Let's um, grab our Bibles. Let's read this experience. Let's stand. Turn to chapter 12, starting at verse 1. We're going to do six verses today. Boasting is necessary, though it's not profitable. But I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows, 
such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me, or hears from me. Let's pray. Father, thank You for giving us this portion. Quite an amazing thing that happened to Paul. We know this is not the norm. But we know that You are supernatural. And You can cause supernatural things to happen. It's only by You. Thank You for doing that because not only was it encouragement to Paul as he lived his life and as he served in this ministry that was rigorous, we too have lives that are challenging. And You give us much of the time comforts, aids, all the things that we need to get through this life. You have been so, so good to us. Thank You and help us be able to understand You a little better today as we look at Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, chapter 12, we've mentioned quite often Paul had to boast. Paul's been boasting for a couple of chapters. But he's the last man who wants to boast. He doesn't want to do that. He's been pressed into it. The arrogant boasters, the false teachers, did glorify themselves. And he says here it's necessary. I have to do it. Necessary. He uh, doesn't find it profitable. Kind of interesting. The Greek word uh, symphaeron refers to what is beneficial or helpful. Um, profitable. It's not helpful. It's not necessarily beneficial. It uh, denotes usefulness. He says it's not so useful. What uses are ecstatic experiences that he had in his ministry? How's that going to build somebody else up, really? Can they direct people into new truths? Can they instruct those kind of experiences? It's not profitable. It's necessary that I bring this out now. So what good are they? Why would this happen? Why then boast about this that we just read? Why would he boast about it? It's what the rivals are doing, right? They're boasting. Why are the Corinthians placing so much importance on their boasting? And they too could talk about visions, revelations. Uh, The Corinthians would value ecstatic experiences. It uh, was known in the pagan realm. You look at the the temples, the oracles that they had all around Greece and all the other nations. They were highly prized in the Greco-Roman world to have ecstatic utterances and ecstatic experiences. Even in Judaism, they would speak of the mention of visions, fiery appearances and voices, some of the writings that you'll see out there in the world. And Paul says it's really not useful, but it's necessary. It's interesting, isn't it? It's necessary to proceed to visions and revelations. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. And I will go on to visions and revelations of our Lord. He's just finished his sufferings and then the humility of being lowered down in a basket to get out of town. And then he starts this chapter 12. And boom! It's just the light comes on out of all the... You wonder if Paul was just going to keep on going with all the sufferings that he had. And now he changes... Uh, the tone somewhat here. Um, Visions and revelations, it's kind of by itself here in that kind of phrase. Paul doesn't use that, but he does here. Uh, He picks up 
possibly the language of the Corinthians as they would have spoke about the uh, visions and revelations. Um, of course, the intruders into the church there had uh, definitely experiences that they would be sharing to the people. And then Paul hits the coup de grace. He says, okay. Do you want boasting? Here we go. I'll tell you about what God did for me. There are distinctions between a vision and revelation, although they uh, actually are kind of related. Uh, sometimes it's not obvious. Um, the word for visions there is uh, optasia, and opta is in the root of there, and that makes you think of optical, right? Optics, vision, eyes, right? Optic wear. You like my optic wear that I'm having today here? <laughs> Uh, so it's it's relating to that. It would be seeing something. And then the word for uh, revelations here is the word apocalypsis, which is kind of like a, an unveiling. It's kind of like a broader term here, though, in the context as he puts it with visions. And it's um, kind of like a divine opening, unveiling, uh, disclosing... Uh, a whole range of things, and your senses can experience this. It can be uh, with your eyes. It can be with the hearing. Uh, it can be with the smell and the taste. Uh, all your senses that are involved with it, the the touch. So it, it's not necessarily something that he's using whenever he says um, whenever he says visions and revelations. He doesn't necessarily go on to say that he saw all those things. He definitely heard it, he says, but it could be that just because it doesn't say that he he saw them, because he puts the word visions in there, uh, I would tend to think that that's what that would uh, be. Uh, it's definitely hearing inexpressible things. We are in a world that cannot understand the things of heaven. It's We've been given some things from Scripture that gives us an idea of what it's going to be like. But this ecstasy that he had, he was trying to, he would like to have been able to relate it, I'm sure, in human terms, but he really couldn't do it. It was definitely a transportation, or I guess a transportation. He was transported out of a, a normal understanding to something that went supernatural and he didn't really understand what was how he got there or what was a it's a supernatural realm there's no doubt about it so he uses visions revelations it's a catch-all phrase um, let's see some of the visions that <laughs> Paul has experienced he did get a number of them this is the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 9, verse 3. This is his salvation experience. We're all familiar with that one. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. A light from heaven flashes fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Get up, enter the city, and I'll be told of you what you must do. So there is the glorified Christ. Uh, he tells of this experience, uh, his testimony like three times in the book of Acts. If you are still in chapter 9, you go to verse 12. He has a vision there of Ananias coming to minister. Uh, pick it up, verse 11. And the Lord said to him, Get up, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So that involves Ananias. There is God revealing Himself in 
the person of Christ, the glorified Christ, uh, Ananias involved, coming to minister to Saul at that time, who's going to be Paul. Uh, How about ministering to the Gentiles? Here's one for you. You go from the Jews, I want you to go now to the Gentiles. And uh, so he had a visit from the Lord in Acts chapter 22, verse 17. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell unto a trance and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another I uh, I used to imprison and beat those who uh, believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. He's speaking to the Lord Himself. The Lord is speaking to him. He's seeing him in this trance, however this may be. This is the Apostle Paul seeing something that is kind of telling him, this is what you're going to do. We'll minister to the Gentiles. How about the time when he couldn't get what God was doing whenever he didn't know which direction to turn to? He and the missionaries, uh, they had tried every way. There was one other way left. Acts 16. It's the famous Macedonian vision. 16, 9, and 10. He's been wondering what's going on. Where do I go now? Verse 7. They came to Mysia and they were trying to go into Bithynia. The Spirit of Jesus didn't permit them. I'm sure they're praying about it. The Spirit of Jesus just just stopped them. You can't go here. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. It's probably been... A little bit of time. It's been passing by and you're wondering, Lord, where would I go? Well, don't you wish that we could just have a vision of the Lord and He tells exactly what we're going to do next? Well, it did happen occasionally to Paul. It still yet wasn't the norm. It wasn't all the time. But it sure happened more than I've ever can imagine. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appearing to him and saying, appealing to him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So God did something that was very obvious. He sent this man and this vision. Quite an incredible thing. Turn to Acts 18, 9 and 10. Um, he's at Corinth. A lot of Corinthians are believing. They're being baptized. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. Keep doing what you're doing. For I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. That was at Corinth. Boy, did they need it, huh? Many people were coming to the Lord believing they were being baptized. But God knew that Paul would be persecuted. There was going to be some occasions there where it was not going to be comfortable. And he says, don't worry about it. You're okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. Nobody's going to harm you. I have the elect. I have people here that are going to hear the Gospel and become saved. This is why I'm going to keep you here. If we'd only trust the Lord, when things come against us, I mean, it seems dark. We already know that He's with us. We have not gone through any kind of persecutions like Paul. We know the truth. We have all the truth revealed. We have the whole New Testament. Paul didn't even have that, did he? 
we have all these experiences and all these things, we can draw upon the fact that God really cares for us. I mean, He really, really cares. You seek Him, you look at the circumstances, you check things out, if things fall into place, then you move on to the next step. We live by faith. We don't have these obvious things where we have the, we live by visions it would be nice. I would love it because I'd know, okay, here's the next step. I know exactly I'm doing God's will. The thing is, God's will is right here. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be sanctified, to be set apart. So, And He brings things along in our lives that we don't understand what's going on and He's working it for His good because He works in a mysterious way. We don't see it, but He did have these particular occasions, didn't He? Well, let's move on. Let's look at Acts 23, verse 11. Somebody might say, well, yeah, I didn't need as many as Paul, but I'd like to have two or three of those. <laughs> By the way, you want, you want some of the sufferings that Paul had too? <laughs> but on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at His side and said, Take courage. See, there was a plot against Paul. Talking, they're trying, they're going to kill him. Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. He says, "Okay, Paul, take courage." Maybe Paul had lost some of the courage. That's why it's important that we go back and look at what God is doing. He's working for things that are good. You witness at Jerusalem? You're going to witness in Rome. By the way, I'm not going to tell you, but how you're going to get to Rome and what's going to happen in Rome, it's not the way that you would design it. He gets arrested, doesn't he? He gets a free trip to Rome. And of course, that, that was for trial, but he, he's in, in arrest at, at Rome. In prison... All at the same time, he's being a witness for the Lord in Rome. Uh, how about Acts 27, verse 23? It's in a ship. The ship is in a storm. The ship is being tossed about. The ship is going to have a wreck. For this very night, this is Paul addressing the rest of the guys in the boat. That very night, an angel of the uh, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, "Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. It's, this is going to happen. You will. If that's going to happen, he's going to get through this wreck, right? And behold, God has granted you. He's graced you. All those who are sailing with you." They're, they're going to be okay too. Therefore, keep up your courage, men. That's what Paul tells them. For I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. <laughs> this is what God told me. I would say He had some visions and revelations, didn't He? Inside track. Inside track. As much as you can get. And he would believe those, wouldn't he? Sometimes we believe God, we believe God, but I'm not so sure this is right. Right? But if it lines up with God's Word, then it's okay. If it's not sin. How about revelations from the Lord? Galatians. Next book over from Corinthians there. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 12. It's talking about the Gospel. Not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The Gospel, the epistles that He wrote, what He preached, that all came from God, not man. He was not taught it from any man. 
he was an apostle and had direct revelation. Galatians 2, 1 and 2. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. That's when he went to Jerusalem. Paul comes in there. They knew about his uh, past. Comes in there. And uh, so this is kind of a private thing because people are going to say, ooh, that's Saul. That's We've heard that he's supposed to be a Christian, but would you trust him after he persecuted Christians? He had had some visits with some few of the apostles. Anyway, there we see that there was a revelation that... Uh, this gospel that he had. It was because of revelation that I went up. That's why I went to Jerusalem. God told me to. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, revelations that Paul had revealing and unveiling. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, we're in 3 1, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship, of God's grace, which was given to me for you, Ephesians, this was given to me to give to you, that by, what's the word? Revelation, apocalypsis. Matter of fact, sometimes you get, in the book of Revelation, uh, you get the word, the apocalypse. It's really the revelation of Christ, isn't it? Revelation, there was made known to me the mystery as I write before in brief, it was made to mo- known to me that there was a mystery. It means it was not known before. And he's revealing something that nobody knew. <clears throat> By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The mysterion. Which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed... Apocalypsis to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. Writes, writes this to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, who are made up mostly of who? Gentiles. fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. We've been revealed those things, you know that? The unfathomable riches. If you read Paul's letters, that's what you're delving into. Right now, that's what we're delving into. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, the mysterion, what was hidden in the past and is now revealed by me, Paul says, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that... Look at this, folks. This right here. It's the coup de grace so that the manifold, the multicolored, multifaceted wisdom of God, multifaceted wisdom of God, might now be made known to be revealed through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We, the church, have the mystery Even angels long to look at this. The authorities in the heavenly places. We make known. God uses the church to bring forth this mystery. It was first known by Paul and revealed to him. Now he's given it to us. And then verse 11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose. 
which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. You notice everything's focused around Christ here? Oh boy. Paul had some revelations, some visions, didn't he? The mysteries that he revealed. Incredible. Now, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 12. Where he's taken to heaven. Now, some of those visions, some of those things came before this, came after it. Paul is going to now share an experience he never told anybody before. This is the first. And it was necessary finally. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, in the body, I don't know, or out of body, I do not know, God knows. Okay, he describes his experience to start off with in the third person. I know a man. I know a man. It's like he knows of this story of this one man, so he's going to tell it. Well, remember, he's been refusing to boast all along. He doesn't want to get into be boasting about his experiences, but since he started on the sufferings, and they use ecstatic experiences that were either demonic or absolutely false, how distasteful he finds boasting. But it's not someone else, as we read through this text, and we read verse 6 and 7, if you look ahead, you'll see it's impossible that is anybody else. It's Paul himself. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. If you had gone to heaven, you would come back, you'd be a little bit better than everybody else. You would have room to boast, wouldn't you, humanly? Uh, there was a thorn in the flesh. God said, you're not going to be doing that game. I'm not going to let that happen. And that's for next week. Thorn in the flesh. And the grace of God. This is absolute grace here. But this clearly refers to Paul. But he doesn't want to brag it up. So he starts off with, I know a man. That's what he's been kind of doing all along. Trying to, you know, fend that arrogance off. Doesn't want to appear arrogant arrogant. He says, you know, he simply could have just said this. I was caught up to the third heaven. <laughs> he doesn't have that kind of attitude though. He just doesn't want to plant himself here and people get caught up in those kind of things and then everybody wow, they will go to things that where the things are happening and Boy, if you come up with a story like that, people really want to hear. Well, that's just kind of natural, isn't it? Well, in order to match his rivals who have been boasting their experiences, Paul actually had a vow of silence on this vision that he had. This static experience that happened 14 years ago. This would be the silent years. Um, we don't really have information much about this, we we can say that Second Corinthians was probably written somewhere around 55, 56 A.D. Second Corinthians. If that be the case, 14 years ago would take you back to somewhere in the vicinity of 42 A.D. That gives you an idea that um, this is pretty early on in his ministry either before the first missionary trip or on that maybe. Um, anyway, the time, the time of this is kind of interesting to, to think about. And it's possible 
I won't press it, won't push it. I've even said it before. When he was in Lystra, he was stoned. Remember, he had said that he had been stoned. That was in Lystra. Stoned and was left for dead. It's possible that he could have died. Usually whenever they did a stoning, it meant death. You would think they would make sure that he died. You know, they're hurling huge stones at him, rocks, and then eventually they they give the big tumbling stone on him to crush him. He, he could have stayed alive. And we know he popped back up and boom, went back into the city. <laughs> but he could have died. And at this moment, it could have been that this occasion happened where he was caught up to the third heaven. He saw things that he couldn't speak about, as he's saying here. And then the Lord says, I've got a lot of other things you got to finish. You're going to have to go back down to earth. <laughs> what a disappointment. <laughs> He heard these things that uh, there's no way that he can even bring it forth in a human language that anybody can understand. No matter how inspired he is, nobody can relate to what he has just experienced. But in light of all these magnificent sufferings that he's been through, now he's going to talk about this third heaven. So would it be interesting though that he you know died at Lystra, goes on to be in paradise, comes back to earth, and God says, um, hey, you're not going to have pride. Whatever that thorn is, here you go. So, those kind of things that uh, he experienced, I think they were designed to strengthen him for one thing. I think that's real important for Paul to be strengthened because you know there were times where in his humanness, that he just couldn't take it anymore. I can't handle. I mean, he's not a superhuman. He is a human. And it's amazing the shape that he is in, that he's able to continue on and do all the walking that he did and running sometimes out of cities. Unusual sufferings that he has, and then he has this unusual experience. He was forced to suffer as he went to the Gentiles. In the body, out of the body. What's this? I think this was so overwhelmingly intense. So shrouded with mystery. Paul was unaware of any kind of impossible thing for that to happen or occultic things. All that he knows is that it was unclear. He didn't know whether he was zapped up in his body and spirit together or whether his spirit came out of his body and went there to the third heaven. He just wasn't sure. If Paul is not sure, then we're not going to be sure. We don't know. We hear about out-of-the-body experiences today. Some of them are very highly unusual. But uh, at any rate, uh, something like this uh, happened to him for the Greek and the Gnostic. They used that kind of thought and that kind of um, logic, I guess, in their sense. And this would be whenever the soul was freed from the body to soar to heaven or wherever or whatever that might be. Of course, we think when one dies, yeah, the soul is released from this body. Body goes and you know, does its corruptible thing, but um, dies, uh, but we know that that body will be raised, that the Spirit goes to be with the Lord. Uh, So Paul really didn't genuinely know about it, uh, whether he was physically transported to heaven or not. God alone knows, he says this, only God knows. I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. It didn't matter to Paul. He knew it happened. What's the difference? He says, I was caught up. Caught up. The word is means to grasp, to, to plunder, to steal, to suddenly snatch, to take it, to grasp something. Caught up to the third heaven. Snatched. Uh, Luke uses that in um, the apostle, or not apostle Luke, but <laughs> the writer, historian Luke. Good name, it. 
Dr. Luke. There we go. Even better. In Acts 39 and verse 39 and 40, Acts 8, 39 and 40. Acts 8, 39 and 40. This is Philip and the eunuch. The eunuch wanted to be baptized. So Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Hey, there are some supernatural things happening in the book of Acts, aren't there? And mostly you see these things, they're recorded in uh, historically, biblically, all of truth. When you get into the epistles and on later on, you don't see these kind of things happening, but for the gospel and the apostles to lay down the foundation, these kind of things happen as Jesus also did supernatural things. He's there, then He's not. We don't see that today where people are with somebody and, hey, see you later, and they're gone. They're out of here. What would you guys think if I'm shaking hands with you out there at the door and all of a sudden, where's Dennis? I was in the midst of shaking hands. He's gone. That doesn't happen, does it? I think it'd be really cool if I could do that. But see, that's a problem. We would handle those things in a real human, cool way that God says, no. we will be able to do things with our glorified body. And we won't be able to boast about it because everybody else will be able to do the same thing. <laughs> we know that we're in Christ. But that glorified body will be able to appear and do whatever it does. I mean, try, we won't need cars. Can you, can you imagine? You know, you... We won't need gasoline and all that kind of stuff. We'll get where where do you want to go? Boom, you're there. I mean, that's great, isn't it? At least Jesus appeared that way. I'm I might be extending this further than it should be, but hey, that's my imagination. Probably not worth much, but there might be some validity to it. I think we're gonna have a body like Jesus did, because scripture says we will see him as he is and be like him. That's good enough for me. <laughs> Caught up. Well, we saw how that word was used there. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, again, you get this word. It's um, it's really harpazo is the word. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17. Let's pick it up, verse 15. For this we say by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them, the ones who have died in Christ. You notice he was saying we, is putting himself in, in the we. That means he expected Christ to come back in his lifetime. It's a possibility. We don't know when He's going to come back. But I think the whole church would like the idea that Christ would come back in their time. I favor that myself. I think I've talked to all of you guys and pretty well I've heard the same thing. If we die, okay, that, that's, that's okay too. That's been the norm. That's the way it's always been. But there will be a group who are here and they're just caught up with the ones who have died in Christ and they both then have glorified bodies. But you'll notice He uses the word caught up. Harpazo. You can say, huh, I thought that was the rapture. Well, it is. In the Latin, it's rapio, which means rapture. It means be caught up, to be snatched, to be taken, taken by force. Uh, So rapio or harpazo, which is the Greek there, is that, and that's how we get that word rapture. It's not a not a scary term at all. It means to be snatched away. That's what we look forward to. We want to be caught up with Christ, don't we? We look for His second coming. And that is a must. And that is all through the New Testament. We look forward to that time, don't we? That is a motivation. Chapter 12 of Revelation 12.5 is where Jesus was caught up. Jesus? 
She gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Who is that? That's Jesus, right? And her child, that's Israel, was caught up to God and to His throne. He ascended. He was caught up. And so there would be a, a catching up of, of Christ. The same word that it's been used here in our Corinthians passage. So we go to the third heaven. Because that's what Paul said. He was caught up to the third heaven. Third heaven. What's the third heaven? I thought, hey, we go to heaven. Well, to the Greeks, the Gentiles, or to the Jews, there were different writings where there would be a first heaven. There would be three heavens. The Jews understood that most of all. And some of them had a seven heavens. Some had five heavens. Some had ten heavens. But in Paul's thought here, what he's doing is he's relating to the first heavens, which is our atmosphere, where we had rain falling yesterday. Of course, we see the sunshine coming through and everything, but you know the sky, the atmosphere, that's the first heaven. It's, it's within our grasp we can see. Then you go further out. You need telescopes to go out there. You go into the, the planetary uh, situation. You think of the, the, the planets and uh, all the rest of uh, what's happening out there in the second heavens. And then the third heaven would be beyond all of that, which is the presence of Christ. God's presence. And he was caught up to that. And people would have known that. It's not uh, the atmospheric heaven. It's, it's not the stellar heavens, but it's the heavens where God dwells. It's what we look forward to. If you look in Luke 23.43, we get the word... And when he says third heaven, he will also use paradise, right? In the same context. In Luke 23.43, we get Jesus involved here at the cross. Happens to have two thieves, one on each side of Him. One of them becomes saved before He dies. And Jesus speaks to this man. He said to him, Truly... Or, 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 the man said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. He said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Same word here, paradisos. Sounds like where we get our English word, right? Um, Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, that word is used again. Paradise. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. I like that term, paradise. Now, we don't hear it too often. I think where we hear it most often is actually through Muslims as they speak about paradise. And it's actually originally a, a Persian word. Interesting, isn't it? It means a royal garden. Then you think of Genesis, the Garden of Eden. It was paradise, wasn't it? And so anyway, you see this paradise. We, we, we saw the, the two other texts there besides our Corinthians passage here. Uh, you, you have a paradise that was Adam and Eve's where they lived. And then there is a second paradise which is, I guess, what Paul would be thinking of or what we would think of the last paradise. You know, There's one in the middle here and this is the same one that we were looking to and of course this is where Paul is talking about. But it's the place where we enter the Lord's presence Himself. Oh my! That's... Um, Amazing Paul, tell us more. I was caught up into paradise and heard 
inexpressible words. Wouldn't you like to hear that I've got a lot to tell you. I'm going to do 3rd Corinthians and I'm going to do everything about paradise. Now we'd love that. But he can't. For one thing, God won't let him and secondly, it's impossible to relate what was there anyway. So what's there? What's there? Look in Revelation. (laughs) And there are other passages. What is is inexpressible? Inexpressible words. It's remata. Words that are ineffable. Um, They're inexpressible. Ineffable would be I guess you could say inexpressible things are too lofty. Too lofty to be spoken about. <laughs> Ineffable. And inexpressible means too difficult to put it into words. I can't verbalize it. When he says he heard these things, they were inexpressible because they were simply ineffable. Either way, that is, nobody could describe what he just experienced. Down here on earth, we can't understand that. Paul can't get it past there. It's indescribable. There's a song that talks about that. You remember, uh, Apostle Peter spoke about this in his first epistle. Not, Not about this particular deal, but he's talking about kind of something along the same lines. It's about our inheritance. You ever, you ever like to think about our inheritance? I sure do. Boy, it's something to look forward to. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. I had to get that in there, didn't I? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance, look at this, which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed, apocalypsis, in the last time. Imperishable, undefiled, can you think of any thing here that you can say that lasts forever? That's imperishable? That's undefined? We can't, even in those terms, we can't really understand that. Everything corrupts here. Even our own bodies. Everything will fade away. Human things are corruptible. We don't have the capacity to understand what Paul experienced. You know, he experienced it and he knew it. It was in his memory. I'm sure it was fresh every day. But he says, God told me not to say, and I can't. Because I don't have the capacity to put it forth in any kind of words that can be understood. Now, this is far different than the false apostles because they would divulge anything that they could make up. In 2 Corinthians here, as we get ready to close this part out now, matter of fact, uh, what it said... Um, which a man is not permitted to speak. Not permitted. Remata is the word. It's dealing with speaking. It's words that are ineffable, that they're inexpressible. It cannot be... It's not allowable. It's not lawful. It's it's not permitted. It's not lawful for him to do that. God is not going to let him do it. What kind of response... Paul make to these blessings. 
Verse 5, on behalf of such a man, there he goes again. <laughs> doesn't want to brag about this. And he had to do it. He says, on behalf of such a man, I will boast. Now that is the man who is in himself. or In Christ, I mean. That's objectively. Subjectively, is it's Paul in his weaknesses whenever he says, um, such a man I will boast, but on my behalf, I will not boast. Except in regard to my weaknesses. So there's, it's like two Pauls in a sense. One who is in Christ and the other one here in his humanness and his weaknesses. And he'll talk about his weaknesses as we go on. Um, he, he doesn't prefer boasting, but if he boasts, it has to be in his weaknesses. And that's the way it is. He's matter of fact, it's even weak that he can't even tell about it. He doesn't like to boast on it. And if the apostle were to boast about this, how can anybody test it? Somebody says they've been, they've had something happen to them. They've been this and that. They've been the same thing where Paul went. How can we test that? You can't really test it. Jimmy Swaggart had a vision and a revelation from God and God said, Jimmy, I want you to build and establish a theological seminary. About that time, James Robison, who is also a spokesman in the Word of Faith movement, said uh, the Lord spoke to him in the past week and told him that um, Jimmy was not to do that. God tells somebody to do it, and then he goes over to this other guy and said, tell him not to do it. Conflicting messages here? You can get that all the time. How do you measure experiences? How's it going to build somebody else up? What does it it means boasting, really? They write books and make movies. There you go. It makes a lot of money. They're still doing it. They still do that. It's impossible to test. Number two behavior of one is the basis of assessment that's the valid test that we we have in the scripture whatever you know i refrain from this that no one may credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me how he lived it thirdly christ and the gospel is the message and that's what we're to focus on Some people make a living the rest of their lives telling about a story that they went to heaven and then they went to hell. To come back and tell people about that, it's already here. Why tell me about it? It's here. Paul said it was inexpressible. You can't talk about it. One guy said, yeah, I went there and he says, the smell is still on my tongue. And I won't wash that tie. I won't even wear it anymore because I go into my closet and it makes me feel back at the same place where I was before. <laughs> How do you test experiences? Word of God, folks. We keep talking about that. That's really what He's focused on here. Messengers other than our Lord, they're sinners. Even apostles were sinners. They sinned, didn't they? Paul said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good things. No other Christian minister ever had so rich an experience of visions and revelations as the Apostle Paul. Even though Christian stores and bookstores or any of the ones that are even left will say that there are, they will have those, but um, in writing books... You have all sorts of authors with their experiences. Paul said, I couldn't boast about it. And he didn't even say anything for 14 years. And it wasn't boasting about this particular thing. It was to confront what had come about there in Corinth. And he didn't even want to do it. Those who are in Christ, here's what we have for ourselves, should anticipate the experience that we will have. 
we too will be exalted in the position that Paul was only even better because we'll have a glorified body and we will know it. (laughs) He didn't even know. But he had a glimpse. He heard something. We have the presence of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever that rapture happens, when He snatches us up to be in the very presence with Him and the rest of the saints, that's a glorious thing. And that's what keeps us going. And it's nice to have a little respite and that kind of news to be looking forward to that because that's always our motivation, isn't it? And it's more real to us. And we know that more than what's going to happen to us tomorrow or whatever we're going to do. We might have plans, but we don't know all the things that's going to come about. But we know this for sure. Christ is coming back. We'll get to be with Christ. We'll be like Him, formed in His image. Father, we thank You for Your truth. It's amazing what was just revealed right there that Paul experienced. We thank You that we know that we look forward to this day we'll we'll be in that place. It's not just about the place, it's who is there. Jesus Christ Himself. Thank You, Lord, for letting us worship You today. It's the grandest thing that we can do this week. Help us to glorify You as we live this life for You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you.